Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. What does the future look like for Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria devastated the island one week ago? Coming up, we'll ask Connecticut's U.S. Senator Chris Murphy how Congress should be responding to this humanitarian crisis. We'll also check in on response to help Puerto Rico from the Connecticut National Guard to efforts by local residents in a state where thousands of Puerto Ricans live. It will be months before electricity will be fully restored on the island. And with no running water, how is the state preparing to welcome those who will leave the island to join the relatives here? That's just one of the questions we'll address this hour, and we want to hear from you. Are you still trying to contact family members in Puerto Rico? Have you bought tickets for relatives but are unsure when their flights may be able to make it to Connecticut? Whether you have ties to Puerto Rico or not, what's your take on how the federal government has responded so far? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. You can email where we live at WMPR.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, because cell phone coverage is still spotty in Puerto Rico, we reached NPR reporter Camila Dominoski before the show. She's in San Juan, and I started off by asking her how long she's been on the island and what she's seen so far. I've been here since Sunday. We have seen uh, in areas east and south of San Juan, which is where I've been traveling around since we arrived here, we've seen people living without power. We've seen many people with no running water, limited access to drinkable water at all. People who say they're running low on the food supplies that they have and that they're finding it difficult to get more food. Lots of people who say they haven't received any aid in in their communities yet. Medicine is also a major issue. I was talking to a man east of San Juan who is diabetic and doesn't have any insulin. He says he hasn't checked his sugar in days. And uh, he also doesn't have a lot of food available, so it's difficult for him to even be regulating the amount that he's eating. So on many levels, there are people who are, are dealing with all kinds of incredibly difficult consequences of the massive infrastructure damage that was caused here by the hurricane. And Camila, can you give us an idea, because it's been a week on now since Maria hit Puerto Rico, who are the people on the ground that are helping these uh, residents of Puerto Rico? You said many of them have not gotten any aid. Yeah, so there is aid on the ground. There, there are organizations operating, you know, the Salvation Army is here, the Red Cross is here, other aid groups, many aid groups are, are working in the area. The territorial government is helping, the municipal governments are doing relief work, FEMA is here, the military is here. And if you're hearing all those, those names and asking why are people not seeing aid, One of the things that I've been hearing again and again is that the problem is one of distribution, that resources might be getting into the island, but it's one thing to get them here, and it's another thing to get them moved around. The governor has issued a call for truckers to help move necessities around the island. There's a shortage of drivers, and there's a shortage of diesel. I was talking yesterday to the head of rescue and uh, recovery operations here on the island, And he said that they're trying to do airdrops by helicopter to help some of these remote areas, but that that is also extremely difficult and dangerous, especially in the mountainous regions of of Puerto Rico. So there's just a lot of challenges in terms of getting some of these relief efforts out to the people who need them the most. 
And what about the main airport on Puerto Rico and San Juan? How many commercial flights are up and running? Is that still uh, also an issue in terms of getting the supplies to the island? The airport is open. More flights are getting in every day, and hundreds of thousands of pounds of goods have been brought in through the airport so far. There have been major challenges with the airport running off generator power. It's causing connectivity issues. There are power issues, but it is, it's getting better day by day, and, and those flights are getting in. And I think today they are opening up more commercial flights. It was pretty limited to relief flights for a good stretch of time, but they should be introducing more flights uh, for paying passengers. Do you anticipate seeing uh, uh, many people trying to leave the island with more commercial flights up and running? There definitely are people who are seeking a path out. I mean, living without power and running water for extended periods of time, especially for vulnerable populations. Uh, evacuation to the mainland is, is an option for some people. For other people, either it isn't an option in the first place or it's not an option that they want to pursue. I've heard lots of people tell me, yes, this is very difficult, but this is my home and I'm staying here. We're staying here. Puerto Rico, Silvantara, we're going to rise up together. They aren't planning on leaving right now. This is more than a week after the hurricane. There's expectations that things are going to continue to be extremely difficult for weeks and months to come, especially if more aid doesn't get into the hands of people who need it the most. So, you know, some of those answers might change, but there there are people who are trying to persuade relatives here in Puerto Rico to come to the mainland and, and not having having success. A lot of people are pretty determined right now to, to make a go of it here. We've heard uh, from uh, doctors and officials worried about more deaths, a possibility of outbreak of contagious diseases because there is no running water, uh, because power is out. Um, how mm-hmm. is that being addressed? One of the major challenges is the communication outage on the island is still so massive that, you know, you want to get information out to the public about what they can do to stay safe, where they can go to get aid, things that might help prevent deaths in the aftermath of uh, an event like this. But getting that information out to people is incredibly difficult. Uh, there's, There's no cell phone service over vast swaths of the island. There's obviously no Internet. People aren't getting newspapers. Uh, unless you can charge a radio, you're, you're completely cut off from the outside world. So there are limitations that I've heard are really frustrating some officials here who, who want to get aid to the people to avoid some of those, those deaths that people are worried about. Obviously, bringing in medical help is going to be an enormous help. There's a hospital ship on the way. It's going to be at least five days before it gets here, though. So that's an ongoing, an ongoing concern. There's also concerns that the death rate might already be higher than it's been reported. Again, just because of the problems with communication on the island and some of the areas that are, are more remote that people haven't really been able to be in touch with. Connecticut has a large Puerto Rican population. We're hearing from many residents who, as you say, are having trouble talking to their relatives uh, on the island. Any sense of when that cell phone coverage could be less spotty? I can tell you that they're working on it, um, that the telecommunications companies are actually in the, the convention center. There are people coordinating together to try to establish better coverage. And there's a desperate need for to get generators up and running to power some of these cell phone towers. It's it's an ongoing problem. They're working on a solution. I don't I don't know that anyone has a really accurate estimate of when that's going to be restored. 
There is service in some parts of the island, here in San Juan in particular. Right now I'm on a cell phone and I, and I can talk to you. So one thing that we've seen is people driving from other parts of the island to the outskirts of San Juan where they can get a signal to make those phone calls. Gas is short, so it's a difficult thing to do, and people can't do it very often. Uh, but in some cases, they'll bring messages with them from other people to relay out there. And in some areas where people haven't managed to make contact, the roads might not be possible, passable, and the gas shortages might be so extreme that they can't get to where there's a signal. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't themselves okay. I talked to several people in, in the mountains of Quam, uh, in Cuomo in the mountains who said, you know, I still haven't managed to reach my family in Maryland, and I just want them to know that I'm okay and I, I can't get in touch with them. So there's, there's absolutely frustration here on the island from people who, who can't make those calls. I've been speaking with Camila Dominoski, a member of the NPR uh, team. She's a reporter for NPR on the ground in Puerto Rico. Camila, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for covering this. This is where we live today. We're focusing on the aftermath of Hurricane Maria on Puerto Rico. If you have family on the island, how are they doing? What have you been hearing? Tell us at 860-275-7266. Joining the conversation now on the phone with us is Hartford resident Eileen Vasquez. Eileen, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. First off, tell us about um, your relatives that are still uh, living on the island and how are they doing? Have you heard from them? Well, the best way I can describe it is just a feeling of total darkness. There's a lot of people that we have yet to hear from. So every day we're just hoping for a phone call. And um, the only people who have been able to call have been one of my uncles and one of my aunts because they had to leave their home in search of cell phone service just to try to make that phone call to say, hey, we're okay, and service was really spotty. The phone call was very, very short. So um, there wasn't a lot of detail other than there has been some damages to the houses, but that everyone was okay. Eileen, um, so. and where do your relatives live in Puerto Rico? There's a lot of attention, of course, on San Juan, but we know that people all throughout the island have been affected, and they are having trouble communicating with their relatives as well. My family is from Naranjito, and it is about uh, maybe 40 minutes from San Juan, but we are more... Uh, in the center of the island, and it takes, yeah, like 40, 45 minutes to get there. Uh, what is your reaction to the response by the federal government? We heard the NPR reporter Camila Dominoski talking about the residents she's been speaking to um, in Puerto Rico, frustrated that um, some have not seen any aid. Uh, what is your take uh, being here on the mainland and seeing all this happening from afar? Well, it's a feeling of despair because you want to help. Like I was talking about this with my mother and father. We want to help, but we want to make sure that our immediate family members receive the help, but we're at a loss as to how. And my aunt said to us to just hold off on sending anything because she has no guarantee that anything will even get to her right now. So it's a little bit of a frustrated feeling um, because everything's just moving slowly. She told me nobody's working. The post office is, there's no one there. There's no one at the bank. She can't even get to work. So she doesn't expect this to start changing for a couple of weeks. We're hearing local officials, officials around the country that are anticipating that they will see uh, many Puerto Ricans leaving the island uh, in the next uh, week or two as more commercial flights come online. Is that an option for your relatives? No. (laughs) I've asked 
uh, very quickly when she had a little spot of service. And they, there's a fear of leaving their homes. There's a fear of some looting. And um, they know, they're hopeful that things will get better. They're a little old school. Like my relatives are much older than I, and they're just hopeful. They, they, they have a, this, a strange sense of hope. It, it's not strange, but it's very reassuring that they just have that faith. That she told me, don't worry, water will find its way to me. That's what her words were, her last words were to me as we ended our phone call. Eileen Vasquez, again, we hope uh, that your family uh, gets the help that they need. We thank you for giving us a, a call this morning to talk about it. Thank you so much. Uh, joining me in studio now is Charles Venator Santiago, associate professor with a joint appointment in the Department of Political Science and El Instituto at UConn. Charles, you've been on the show before. Welcome back. Under these circumstances, I'm sorry that you're back to talk about this, but welcome back to the show. Thank you. And I'm sorry I'm late. I, I actually just managed to get a ticket so that my mother can travel today to New York. So I'm heading to New York right after the show. That's wonderful. So your mother was uh, still on the island. You, what were you telling her before Maria was uh, forecast uh, to hit? Tell us. So I, we were watching Maria from the outside, from the United States, and sort of had a different perspective. And I asked her to prepare and to save water, and I gave her camping equipment so she can purify it. And she did not, assuming that it was going to be a normal hurricane. So by Friday, last Friday, she had run out of food. And by Saturday, she had run out of water. Uh, Unfortunately, my cousin, who's a medical doctor, managed to rescue her and and nurse her back to health. But she was catatonic and anxious and stressed. You said that you're able to get her a ticket. Are you optimistic that flight will leave uh, Puerto Rico and get to New York? I managed to get her to the airport. They haven't canceled the flight. They've reported that it's going to leave. So I'm hoping nothing's going to get canceled in the next two hours. Uh, Personally, your response to what you've seen over the last week in media reports, read, watched, heard, um, obviously your mother was still there. You have family there. What's your response to how the government's been handling this? It's terrible. Uh, the, uh, the Trump administration has refused to waive the Jones Act, which would have made it easier for goods to arrive. And they're trying to pass a lot of financial burden on the island, an island that is bankrupt, that doesn't have the resources to even put gasoline in police officers' cars. Mm. Uh, this is a humanitarian crisis that is affecting c- citizens that are born in the United States. And the fact that we're not sending ships or C-130s to rescue people uh, is outrageous. So uh, just this morning before the show, we've heard that uh, President Trump has waived the Jones Act, uh, responding to a request by Puerto Rican Governor Ricardo Rosario. Uh, your reaction now that that has been waived? It's about time. <laughs> you know, It's a week late, but hey, we'll, we'll take what we can get. And I just heard Royal Caribbean has canceled one ship and it's going to send a cruise ship to pick people but again, this is almost a week later. You know, why, why, why does it take so long to have a humanitarian response to address the needs of citizens? It's not like they can drive out of Texas or Florida. They have to, they're stuck in an island. You can join the conversation today as we look at the aftermath of Hurricane Maria on Puerto Rico. The number 860-275-7266. Uh, uh, Larry's calling from Hartford. I think this is Councilman uh, Larry Deutsch. Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you. And this is a very critical time, and I wonder if we can add some comments from the point of view of looking towards cities to help out in this situation, even though their budgets are very limited. And so uh, we can say that um, uh, cities like Hartford, especially uh, being the capital, Bridgeport, Waterbury, have plenty of um, room for improvement in their housing stock, either old housing stock with rehab or 
building new homes. And if people, uh, individuals from the Caribbean uh, are inclined to leave the island, and of course some will not be, but some may need to, then the city should be welcoming uh, for the sake of their their cultural contribution, their labor, and their rebuilding of, of the jobs and housing uh, opportunities. Of course, the state and city budgets are disastrous in themselves. But this is something that should be considered. And now, Larry, you're you're a member of the council. We know that Hartford has, I think, the fifth largest Puerto Rican population in the country. Any um, meetings happening between the mayor and city officials on how to respond to an influx of Puerto Ricans coming here because of, of what's happening on the island? Well, that's exactly the best question. I wish we could offer a land of uh, gold and plentiful opportunities. Uh, on the other hand, with, with uh, a lot of work, from some of us who uh, are at the local level as well as state and federal, uh, which is where most of the work needs to be done, by the way. And our caller just now mentioned the stinginess and nastiness of the Trump administration. Uh, but we need to work uh, against that for our benefits. It happens that this coming Monday night, there's a meeting of the Council's Health and Human Services Committee. We hope to take up any ways in this crisis worldwide, I must say, of refugees, immigrants, natural disasters that a city like Hartford, uh, poor as it may seem, can help with its um, land, its buildings, and its welcoming of uh, uh, immigrants in need. This is our policy, and, and we hope to make it a reality. Councilman Deutsch, thank you for your call. Charles. Uh, two comments really quickly on this question. Uh, the Housing and Urban Development webpage is inconveniently out of service <laughs> today, and uh, relocation information uh, is not available. So we, the state at least should have a housing and urban development relocation information available for particularly U.S. citizens who are coming from Puerto Rico. Uh, I, I would also encourage uh, some sort of pressure to expand the number of refugee uh, uh, quotes because the quota that was just released yesterday was that uh, the U.S. government is only accepting 1,500 refugees from the Caribbean. And as we know, the whole Caribbean was devastated, and a lot of Caribbean islanders ended up in Puerto Rico in refugee camps uh, and might be coming to the United St- to the mainland United States. And we should be clear, too, uh, because uh, um, Puerto Ricans are American citizens. They are free to leave if they're yes. able to get a ticket and that plane arrives to the continental U.S. Yes. They're born in the United States under birthright citizenship laws. Charles Venator Santiago in studio with me. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. Today we're talking about efforts to help Puerto Rico one week after Hurricane Maria devastated the island. A lot of attention on the government's response to the disaster. What's your take? How does the island's status as U.S. territory impact how the Trump administration has responded so far? We'll talk more about that coming up, and we want to hear from you, too. Do you have family in Puerto Rico? Have you heard from them? What are they telling you? Are you looking for ways to help? Join the conversation. 860-275-7266. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. Today, our focus is on Puerto Rico, one week after Hurricane Maria devastated the island. Now, this morning, White House spokesperson announced President Trump has waived the Jones Act. This was a law that restricted shipping to and from Puerto Rico. Now, next Tuesday, President Trump is expected to arrive in Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. That would be nearly two weeks since Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, even longer since Irma devastated the Virgin Islands and other parts of the Caribbean. How do you think the federal government has responded so far? Join the conversation. 
conversation, 860-275-7266. Again, that waiver of the Jones Act comes after a request by Puerto Rican Governor Ricardo Rosario. Other major issues facing the island, electricity could be out for months and no running water. What other resources can the U.S. send to Puerto Rico immediately? And what are the best ways local residents can help with reports of supplies sitting idle at the San Juan Airport? Coming up, we're also going to hear from U.S. Senator Chris Murphy on how Congress should be responding. In studio with me is Charles Venator Santiago, Associate Professor with the Joint Appointment in the Department of Political Science and El Instituto at UConn. We just heard that his mother um, and other relatives are, are still living in Puerto Rico. His mother has a ticket to come to New York, and Charles is, is hoping that uh, she can arrive soon. Again, you can join the conversation. One of the things that's getting a lot of focus uh, recently, uh, Charles, is uh, military response. And on the phone with us now is Michael Peterson. He's director of the communication of communications for the Connecticut National Guard. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Hi, Lucy. Thank you for having me. Uh, we wanted to bring you on because we know um, that Governor Malloy had announced that the Connecticut National Guard has sent planes and guardsmen and women to help. Can you give us an idea of what that help looks like? Absolutely. Um, first, on behalf of the Connecticut National Guard, I just want to extend um, our heartfelt thoughts and prayers to those who've not only been affected by Maria, but those still dealing with Harvey and Irma as well. Um, right now, we currently have uh, a few different missions that have been going on uh, to and from Puerto Rico in the form of C-130 flights from our Connecticut Air National Guard that have been doing cargo equipment runs and uh, transporting personnel in between uh, both Puerto Rico and other islands in the Caribbean. Uh, and we also have uh, a mission that we sent yesterday to support commun- the communications effort, which has obviously been such a, uh, a critical need down there. Uh, Thirteen of our guardsmen are currently on the ground setting up a, a specific communication system to help connect those local, state, and federal officials that are trying to get a better picture of what's going on. Now, we know when disaster strikes U.S. states, uh, the, uh, the governors of each state can activate the National Guard, and then also uh, National Guards will go in between different states to help. Can you give us an idea of, now that we have Connecticut National Guard men and women on the ground in Puerto Rico, who are they coordinating with, and do you an- anticipate more will be sent from Connecticut? I do anticipate that we will uh, receive more missions, and um, you know, the Connecticut National Guard is proud to uh, support its motto and always stand uh, stand ready by uh, always being there to support uh, people in need. Um, so we are anticipating that we will have more folks that will go down. Uh, we don't know what that'll look like at this time, but we are always preparing for that. Uh, there's a number of different coordination uh, factors that go into the folks that are down there. They obviously report through a military chain of command, and then uh, they'll speak with the local officials and uh, bring that communication together to, to better understand what the uh, uh, individuals in Puerto Rico need. And we know that getting supplies is is one important step, but then getting it around the island, that's a whole nother challenge. Uh, uh, any comment on how the guardsmen are able to do that? Well, I, I can't personally attest to it not having been to Puerto Rico, but uh, it's, it's been widespread through the news that obviously the tremendous amount of uh, logistical challenges going on will make it difficult to get uh, uh, things into and around the island. I can speak to our, our C-130 flights that have been uh, landing on the island recently. Uh, those missions have uh, taken our folks to the island for uh, equipment runs, 
um, dropping off cargo, and then they've been actually taking off. They're not staying in Puerto Rico, those uh, C-130s. They're, go, they're uh, uh, returning to the continental United States, somewhere you know in the southern United States, where they can be ready to be retasked and respond as necessary. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it really is a, an asset to our people that we have that flexibility of people that want to help uh, in any way possible. I want to thank Michael Peterson, Director of Communications for the Connecticut National Guard. Again, uh, National Guard uh, planes and uh, the Guard's men and women are also being deployed from Connecticut to help Puerto Rico. Uh, Thank you, Michael, for your time today. Thank you very much. Uh, Charles Venator Santiago is in studio with me. Response to why there isn't more military on the ground. We've been—I I just saw uh, a report that when you compare the number of military uh, service members that were deployed uh, for when uh, disaster struck Haiti, or when we looked at Irma or Harvey, I mean, I think there were five thousand on the ground um, this morning. Well, well, two comments on that before I. The first is the National Guard could also send drivers with CDL license, truck drivers. Uh, the governor has complained that he has a parking lot full of trucks to deliver goods that are laying in there. Uh, so, and it doesn't have to be from Connecticut. Uh, I think National Guards around the states could contribute to sending drivers who have uh, truckers uh, license or other contractors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the C-130 planes could be returning full of people, U.S. citizens that are in desperate need to escape an island uh, under terrible living conditions. So the question for me would be, why aren't we moving more people to safer environments? Um, in terms of the military, there is a National Guard presence in Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico has a National Guard. Uh, so in that sense, my guess is that Puerto Ricans have been involved. But I, I'm not sure why the Trump administration has not activated the Army Corps, a larger contingent of the Army Corps of Engineers to help uh, in a humanitarian crisis affecting citizens. This is where we live. Again, we're talking about Puerto Rico today. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. George is calling from Hamden. George, you're on the show. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think the uh, the explanation about why the uh, response has not been stronger is very simple. I think uh, our, the president is basically against immigrants, and he thinks in his heart, I think he thinks about Puerto Ricans as if they're immigrants, mm. and uh, and he's willing to give less or be less urgent. It's just a tragedy. Thank you. Thank you, George, for your call. I want to take another call. Uh, Pamela's calling from Eastern Long Island. Pamela, you're on the show. Oh, hi. Uh, thank you for doing this. We really need the help uh, that, that uh, the people are, are willing to offer. Uh, I work at an institute in in uh, Western Puerto Rico called the Ann Wigmore Natural Health Institute, and and people come there from all over the world and are welcome, you know, to the United States. Uh, and I I just feel that so much of the emphasis right now is in San Juan, and there are other ports of entry. If the roads are bad, there are other ways that they can get uh, supplies to the people. And I am so um, heartened that by the response that we've got from the people all over the world who come to Puerto Rico and come to our institute. And uh, I just, I just want to thank, you know, the people that are concerned and, and do understand that that Puerto Rico is a wonderful part of the United States. And um, sorry, we really need their help and their support to call their senators and to call the Congress people and to tell them that they demand, 
you know, uh, 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 an organized humanitarian response to the crisis of the people there. I know I have been in touch with some of our workers and some of the people that are living there, and they're, you know, they are getting water from mountain streams. They are doing their best, but they need they need the help from 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 the people here. Well, Pamela, thank you so, for your call. We're going to have uh, U.S. Senator Chris Murphy joining us in a few minutes, and we will ask him that question of what Congress can do uh, to further help Puerto Rico. But we thank you uh, for your call. Uh, I wanted to, to go now to uh, Jason Ortiz. He's with the Connecticut Puerto Rican Agenda. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me. appreciate it. I know uh, several organizations, including your own, have been working to uh, find ways to help uh, Puerto Ricans still on the island. Tell us what you've been doing. So, so far, I've been working with a coalition of nonprofits that include um, our organization, which is the Connecticut Puerto Rican Agenda, as well as the Center for Latino Progress, the San Juan Center, uh, CICD, the Hartford Puerto Rican Day Parade, um, and we've been working under the umbrella of the Hispanic Federation and working with our elected officials um, primarily to coordinate people's understanding of the problem and giving folks a place to be able to kind of discuss what we can do about it. Um, and we're going to be focusing on fundraising on October 1st. We're going to have an all-day fundraiser um, at the Center for Latino Progress in Hartford. Um, but our fundraising goals are really going to be to establish connections with folks on the island once the emergency services have been able to do their job to provide support for long-term rebuilding efforts. Now, and Jason, so I, be, yeah. I wanted to ask, uh, since you've been speaking to local members, local Puerto mm-hmm. Ricans uh, here in Connecticut, is there a frustration that they feel like there's not, that there isn't much they can do? Uh, so often after disasters, people want to send, uh, gather diapers and wipes and send water, <laughs> but that's not the best way, as we know uh, from li- talking to former USAID officials, because often those supplies just sit there idle at an airport waiting to be transported. Absolutely. And I think that is true that there is a sense of wanting to help. And because there's so many of us all across the country that have have family in Puerto Rico that, yes, there are 3.5 million American citizens on the island, but there's 5 million citizens here across the country um, that are watching from afar our island um, deal with its worst natural disaster of all time. And so there is a, a tremendous amount of anxiety within the community. And so folks are looking for ways to uh, relieve that anxiety. And so donating supplies is one way to do it. We have been encouraging folks not to do that, as you said, um, because we're seeing sort of stockpiles just kind of happen all over the state. Um, And those, you know, may be necessary down the road. Um, But in order to send a case of water through the mail or shipping is incredibly expensive. Um, And so we encourage folks to focus on financial donations that can be used to do things like rebuild schools, um, help folks that need to plant new you know, um, agricultural supplies, you know, things of that nature are going to be necessary. Um, the water and things like that um, will only be needed at the very beginning and won't get there in time to actually address that issue. And Jason, uh, before we let you go, tell us again about that fundraiser that you're working on for October 1st. Where can people get more information? So they can go to ConnecticutPuertoRicanAgenda.com. It's our website. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, the Connecticut Puerto Rican Agenda. But the event will be from 12 p.m. to 7 p.m. at 95 Park Street in Hartford, um, and you can text 41444, and you can text the word UNITY to 41444 to make a donation by, um, by your phone.
Jason Ortiz from the Connecticut Puerto Rican Agenda, thank you uh, for your call. We will tweet out more information about that fundraiser as well as links to uh, reputable places to uh, send your donations. We'll tweet that out at where we live. Uh, again, uh, in studio with us is Charles Venator Santiago, Associate Professor with the Joint Appointment in Department of Political Science and El Instituto at UConn. Um, are you amazed at the reaction so far in Connecticut to how they can help? And have you noticed some of that tension of, well, what can we do if, if the supplies can't get to these people that need it? I've actually noticed in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and all over, there's been a great response among Puerto Ricans. Uh, just to add to the comments that uh, Jason Ortiz raised, uh, I think this is an opportunity also to send environmentally conscious uh, supplies down the line, such as solar-powered light bulb or lamps, uh, water purification systems that are handheld or something that's manageable for folks. And again, I want to clarify that we have a triple crisis going on in Puerto Rico. And this, by this, I mean to say there are some folks, like my mother and other folks, who are able to stay in their homes and may not have water, but may have a generator or may have access to some basic. There are some folks who lost everything and are in shelters. And then there's a, a group of folks who came from the Caribbean and they're refugees that lost everything in their own islands. And the needs are different based on each population. But of course, as I said earlier, and some of it, uh, part of the problem is distributing goods. There are part, uh, communities that are still inaccessible because there is not there aren't enough drivers to clear out the roads or to deliver goods mm-hmm. to the island. You can join the conversation eight six zero two seven five seven two six six. Daniel's calling from New Haven. Daniel, you're on the show. Thank you. Go ahead with your question or comment. Oh, okay, my comment is: um, we are in New Haven. New Haven for Puerto Rico has um, established a GoFundMe account, New Haven for Puerto Rico. Um, uh, we're doing a series of events. Uh, this Friday, we start with the Hill House versus Hamden game. All the proceeds will go to the New Haven for Puerto Rico account. We will also have a big drive on Saturday in the Fair Haven uh, section of New Haven, on Quinnipiac Park, we will have a stage. We're going to be collecting money. Uh, we believe that the best way that we can help Puerto Rico is by doing uh, cash donations because the, that will help a local merchant if the products are, are bought in um, Puerto Rico, which will lead to help a family down there. So we, we want to encourage people that they, when they do donations, wherever they do and whoever they feel comfortable with, to make sure that they do cash donations, meaning check, cash, go for me account, to reputable organizations. Well, thank you, Daniel, for that information. Again, we'll tweet out some of that information at where we live. Uh, thank you for your call. I want to take one more call before we head to break. Coming up, we're going to hear from U.S. Senator Chris Murphy. Uh, Andrea is calling from Glastonbury. Andrea, uh, if you have, a, we have a, just under a minute. Go ahead. Sure. Hi. I am in sympathy with the people in Puerto Rico. You know, they were devastated. But also, there is also an immediate need in St. Martin. They got hit terribly, too. They were devastated. And we're also dealing with the crisis that also happens here on our mainland in Key West, as well as in um, Houston. People here still, a lot of them are still devastated from this. And I think that, you know, it's, our president is not ignoring Puerto Rico, and it has nothing to do 
with immigrants or anything like that, because this is a crisis. It's a human need. And if that was the case, he would not be making the trip there next Tuesday to see those people and see, you know, what their needs are. So I just think that everybody just needs to be patient. It's not a time to be pointing fingers and blaming, because so far, no other country has even come to our assistance for what happened to us here in the United States. And we're trying to deal with that as well as to help the crisis in Puerto Rico. Thank you, Andrea, for your call. Uh, You raised some good points. There are uh, several uh, uh, crises that uh, the U.S. is trying to respond to. But again, we mentioned uh, this morning President Trump has waived the Jones Act. This will enable uh, more ships. It doesn't have to just be U.S. ships coming to Puerto Rico to help get the supplies and and other resources to the island. Uh, This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we talk with U.S. Senator Chris Murphy, and we'll talk about the future of the island. Will many of its residents leave? Who will be left to rebuild? That's up next. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we've been talking about the response to the crisis in Puerto Rico. Fellow Americans, including here in Connecticut, with a large Puerto Rican population in cities like Hartford, Bridgeport, Willimantic, want to help, including collecting emergency supplies. But officials, again, have urged cash donations are best to reputable organizations like AmeriCares, which is based here uh, in Connecticut. We're tweeting out some links at where we live. Now, it's been one week after Hurricane Maria uh, devastated the island. We're hearing uh, from NPR. Uh, that more commercial flights um, are resuming. And when that happens, are we going to see more residents leaving the island? In studio with me is UConn Professor Charles Venator Santiago. And joining the conversation now is U.S. Senator Chris Murphy. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Senator Murphy. Yeah, thanks for having me. The big question a lot of people have is what can Congress do to help? Well, right now, the most important thing Congress can do is authorize additional emergency funding. Uh, FEMA has enough money to continue the response um, in the Gulf Coast and uh, in Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands through about the middle of October. So right now, the issue is not uh, a financial issue, but that money runs out very quickly, and there's no reason to wait. Many of us think that this week, literally today or tomorrow, uh, we should be passing emergency aid uh, to make sure that there's at least no question in the minds of people going through recovery in Puerto Rico that the money won't run out in the middle of the week. Uh, We can also take some additional steps to uh, make sure that nutrition benefits, SNAP benefits um, are moving freely. Uh, We should be looking at things like extending uh, disaster unemployment benefits, which right now can um, be provided for 25 weeks, uh, but are going to frankly be needed much longer. Um, Those are all um, steps that the administration could take, but Congress could take, and we should do it sooner rather than later. What's your reaction so far to how the government has responded? Critics are saying that it's been slow. It has been slow. Uh, and uh, I've been disappointed at the focus of this administration. Uh, it does not help when the President of the United States 
uh, declares that things are going great in Puerto Rico and that there aren't any problems with food and water when exactly the opposite is true. Uh, I think FEMA is stretched very thin today, uh, and mounting a response uh, on an island is different than mounting a response in uh, the continental United States. Uh, but there's really no excuse uh, for a White House that seems to be uh, a little blind right now to the scope of the tragedy there, which is why I think Congress has to step in right now uh, and pass that additional emergency assistance in part to light a fire under an administration. You know, there's uh, 5,000 U.S. military personnel there, but, you know, it is worth noting that shortly after the earthquake in Haiti, there were 20,000 U.S. troops. Uh, there were 20,000 U.S. troops in Japan after the earthquake. So it's also a little bit of a mystery as to why it's been so um, uh, it's been so hard to get U.S. Uh, personnel uh, into a disaster that's happening inside our country when a lot more were responding to disasters outside of our country. Have you been hearing from uh, many of your constituents who have uh, roots in Puerto Rico about uh, the response? All the time. So uh, I've been reaching out constantly to uh, my friends in the Puerto Rican community in Connecticut, they've been texting uh, me and calling me uh, all throughout the last uh, week, giving me updates. Uh, and so we have tried to smooth out some of the edges around uh, donations and disaster assistance. Uh, we've tried to help uh, family members uh, connect. Uh, we are uh, a full-service office right now, given the fact that Connecticut has the you know the biggest Puerto Rican population uh, in the uh, in the country. When you think of it as a percentage of our overall population. So I hope anybody that is looking for help, uh, either finding a loved one or figuring out how to get assistance down to the island, will call our office. And, and what about the future for Puerto Rico, Senator Murphy? Before uh, this uh, disaster uh, struck uh, with Hurricane Maria, again, a lot of attention on uh, this, the billions of dollars in debt, the fact that the officials there are working to repay that. But if you have more people leaving the island, who is left to help um, with the revenue to pay uh, this massive debt? Well, that's exactly right. Uh, and this is a moment where we should step back and have a conversation about uh, the federal government's relationship with Puerto Rico. The fact of the matter is we have underinvested in Puerto Rico for decades. Uh, they get a, a pittance in federal reimbursement for big programs like Medicaid compared to other states. Um, and while Puerto Rico definitely you know, had their share of mismanagement, which led to the, um, uh, the bankruptcy board taking over, um, their fiscal problems are also due to the fact that the United States simply doesn't invest there like we should. So, you know, I've called on Congress to take a look at this Medicaid reimbursement issue uh, where we, um, you know, are, are not giving Puerto Rico what we give other states. And I think this would be a good moment for us to decide to, um, you know, try to be part of the solution for Puerto Rico's economy moving forward. Have you thought about visiting uh, Puerto Rico? We're looking at a report from the Washington Post that the White House is restricting lawmakers from visiting Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Yeah, I'm uh, you know, certainly eager to get there. Um, and so there's a group of us that have been working with FEMA uh, on um, visiting. I think it's important for us to be there because we're going to be asked to come up with the money to respond, but also as a way to uh, try to command press attention there. You've been great to cover this, uh, but a lot of uh, the TV news outlets have been covering lots of other things, uh, NFL players and Pledge of Allegiance protests instead of this humanitarian disaster. Uh, so if we can get some congressional uh, visits in there, I think it'd be important to draw some uh, some attention there, and I'd certainly be uh, be part 
of that. I'm working on it as we speak. Had you heard that the White House is possibly trying to restrict lawmakers from going? I actually had not heard that it was coming from the White House. I mean, we've been we've been working with Senator Schumer and Senator Gillibrand uh, and Senator Blumenthal to try to coordinate a visit, and we, um, you know, had uh, we had some tough time uh, with FEMA getting uh, them to coordinate uh, our visit. But I had not heard that that was coming directly from the White House. If that's true, uh, that's very very disappointing. I wanted to bring into the conversation again our in-studio guest Charles Venator Santiago, associate professor with a joint appointment in the Department of Political Science and. Instituto at UConn. Um, I asked the senator the question about the future of Puerto Rico. Uh, Charles, you've got family there. Obviously, your heart is still there on the island as well. What is the future? So, so two things. First, I want to echo everything that Senator Murphy said. I, I think he's on point. Uh, but I, I want to emphasize two points that haven't been addressed yet. Based on conservative estimates by local government officials, uh, turning on the lights in Puerto Rico is going to cost about $2 billion dollars. Fixing the roads are, is going to cost somewhere around a billion dollars. Uh, fixing the grid system so it's updated, it might run anywhere from six to ten billion dollars, depending on what kind of grid system. So we're talking about a rebuilding effort that is going to require a lot of funding, not just social services funding, but actual infrastructure funding because the island was devastated. Eighty percent of the lines were uh, electric lines were knocked down. That's the first part. The second part is that the administration, the Trump administration, has been emphasizing the idea that Puerto Rico share, should share, the Puerto Rican government should share part of the burden, financial burden, in rebuilding the island. And there are two fundamental problems going on here that nobody seems to address. First is that the fiscal control board imposed by Congress, an anti-democratic board comprised of members who were responsible for causing the crisis in the first place, uh, has been using an austerity approach and by the, following the Kansas model, the failed Kansas model and the Greek model, and by their own admission, the U.S. economy is not going to grow for another 10 years. So the question then becomes what kind of funding or what kind of revenues is Puerto Rico going to generate when the fiscal control board that's imposed by Congress is essentially restricting the, the island's ability to, to develop? Senator Murphy, could you respond quickly before you have to head out? Well, I mean, listen, he's he's right, uh, and I think we've got to step back and you know have a broader conversation about how we uh, help uh, Puerto Rico recover. Uh, they were in the midst of just a crippling decade-long recession that will be made catastrophic, uh, and so um, you know there are other measures that we can take in addition to this disaster assistance. Uh, uh, thinking about waiving the requirement that Puerto Rico put up matching funds for disaster assistance going forward um, as we authorize what will be billions of dollars to help turn the lights back on and rebuild roads. Uh, it just would, uh, would make a lot of sense to force Puerto Rico to put up money that they right now don't have, that they frankly owe to creditors. Uh, so I think this is going to have to be part of a, a broader conversation. Um, and um, uh, I, I think it's one that's uh, long overdue. U.S. Senator Chris Murphy, thank you for joining us today. Thanks. Uh, I wanted to go back to Charles, who's in studio with me. You know, one thing we haven't talked about is uh, agriculture being devastated. Uh, reports 80% of the crop value in Puerto Rico wiped out um, from Maria. Uh, we heard Senator Murphy talking about the recession. Uh, there have been reports that many uh, people in Puerto Rico have returned to farming as one way. But now what's going to happen? <laughs> well, you know, this is an opportunity for new forms of agriculture. Uh, vertical forms, once you get the lights on, hopefully, uh, but solar-powered forms of agriculture, uh, where you don't, you start thinking about growing up vertical stuff. Envi this is a great opportunity for environmentally conscious responses to address the needs of the island. 
Agriculture in Puerto Rico, unfortunately, is not a source of revenue that contributes to the island's economy because the, the island's infrastructure is so expensive that agriculture just doesn't generate enough money. Uh, and I, I think the, what we should focus is on how to support farmers in Puerto Rico in ways that are innovative and, again, that take advantage of renewable resources and sustainable development because there's no electricity and there's hardly any water. So given the infrastructure limitations, this is a great opportunity to explore good alternatives based on solar and wind, and et cetera. Meanwhile, uh, we only have a couple of minutes left, but again, attention on how much more Puerto Ricans pay when it comes to things being imported onto the island. What's going to happen with food costs and, and who's going to be able to pay for that? Well, that's if depends on whether the waiver to the Jones Act is going to last a little bit longer than simply cleaning up the island. Uh, that's one problem. The second problem is how are you going to work without electricity and water? How is the government going to function in the island without the basic infrastructure needs? And how are company and how are people going to be able to pay for goods without access to jobs? Uh, f- uh, s- social spending, social services only give you so much money, and it's not enough given the cost of living in Puerto Rico. Do you anticipate a major exodus from the island? I do. I do, but it's a temporary exodus because it's really hard for a person to leave their home and their jobs and go relocate somewhere else temporarily, especially when it's cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do anticipate a, a temporary exodus. I know lots of people want to leave because uh, they don't have basic services and they're struggling to survive. I mean, I I can tell you horror stories, but, uh, and there are about 6.5 million people, Puerto Ricans in the island, so there are a lot of connections that would be available. And they would generally come to Connecticut, New York, or the uh, East Coast, uh, Florida, Texas, and Ohio are the main hubs for Puerto Ricans right now. Meanwhile, you're going to leave here hoping to pick up your mother later today. What are you going to say to her when you see her? You know, I'm going to give her a hug. Uh, She's been crying for a week, and I'm going to feed her. Then I'm going to take her home to get a shower, and then she can play with her grandson, (laughs) and I'll feed her some more. Well, Charles, we hope she makes it, and we thank you so much for coming in. Charles Venator Santiago, again from UConn. Uh, Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Uh, Special thanks to WMPR executive producer Katie Tolarski, our technical producer Kion Wolf. Again, we'll tweet out some more links on how uh, you can help uh, Puerto Ricans uh, on the island. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.